Good evening, everyone. Let me add my welcome. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's great to be with you here this evening, and we are continuing this week to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who takes what is objectively true about us in Jesus Christ and brings that into our experience, our subjective experience. Uh, he takes what would otherwise be a two-dimensional spectatorship of the gospel and makes it a participatory thing, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we talked about last week, looking at what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit, and it's where we continue uh, this week and on into the first week of Advent. The command of this passage that we've looked at in Galatians, Galatians 5, which is on page 835 of your church Bibles, uh, the command is to walk in the Spirit, or to live in the Spirit, or to operate in the Spirit, and not, Paul says, in the flesh. What is he talking about? Let me set up the answer to this by talking about my laptop. Yes. I bought my current laptop back in 2012, and at the time it was top of the line, and uh, it had the capabilities to do everything that I really wanted and needed it to do. Uh, and what I found is that it very quickly became out of date, uh, as you find with all technology. And there was all of a sudden software I wanted to run on it, or, or the number of windows I wanted to have open that were just not going to work on this machine anymore. And so. Basically, I had to figure out how to revamp it to do the things that I wanted it to do. And so what I did was pretty simple. I removed the, because I didn't want to buy a new one, uh, I removed the obsolete CD drive and I installed a second hard drive. And it was a much more advanced solid state drive. And so now my laptop has on it two different drives. One is uh, obsolete and it's frustratingly slow and clunky. And the other one is new and lightning fast and allows me to do all the things that I really want to do with my computer. There's an analogy here to our lives. It's, it, it, believe it or not, our natural human nature is insufficient to run the software, if you will, of God's righteous ways. Uh, the, these righteous ways that are pointed to in the Old Testament, that are embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, when we try to, to run these ways on our natural lives, in our own effort, in our own strength, uh, the system crashes. It can't do it. When we try to follow God's ways without some sort of upgrade, some sort of deep, deep change within us, we find ourselves to be miserable failures. And the New Testament, and this passage that we're going to look at, indicates that what happens in the coming of the Holy Spirit is a new operating power is present in our lives that allows our humanity to operate in a new mode, to do new things, to live a new kind of life with some possibilities that we just weren't able to achieve before. And I know this is a strange analogy, and uh, it's certainly not the most elegant uh, and if you push it too far, it will break. But something like that is, is what's going on in our lives as we talk about uh, this sermon passage where it says, walk by the Spirit. 
Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Operate by the Spirit. Operate by the desires of the Spirit, Paul says, not by the desires of the flesh. And he's telling us there are really these two different ways we can operate. One, from our fallen human nature and our own strength and abilities, and two, from the divine capacities of God himself, who has come to endure. So that's what I want to look at with you today. Uh, how is it that we operate by the Spirit and not by the flesh? Um, before we do so, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it uh, teaches us what it means to know you, to follow you. We thank you that you meet us in the reading of it by the power of your Holy Spirit, bringing it into our lives. We pray that you do that now. You would take these words of Scripture, take the, the words that I say, and bring these realities to life in our lives. Help us to learn to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with your Holy Spirit, to live uh, lives that are marked by newness and transformation. We so desperately need this. first thing I, I want you to see from this passage in Galatians 5, and that is life in the Spirit is death to self. It's a radical critique of the self and its abilities and capabilities. Life in the Holy Spirit is really uh, starts with a death sentence, a de declaration of obsolescence on our own abilities that we have as fallen human beings. Uh, to walk in the Spirit is to live from a power other than the self. Look what Paul says in verse 16 again. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say if you walk by the Spirit, you won't have the desires of the flesh, but that you will not gratify them. And he goes on to describe the way that these two modes of operation that are, are present within our lives uh, how they relate to one another, and it's a relationship of opposition and contradiction. Uh, so in verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want. Paul's saying that those of us who are Christians, now that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives, we're faced with this kind of tension in ourselves. And really, I think everyone knows what it's like to have a tension within ourselves. So you don't have to be a Christian to know this. Um, I, I certainly have tensions within my own desires, boring desires. Uh, I have the desire to lose five to ten pounds to wear my favorite suit that I spent so much money on that just sits in my closet right now. Um, but I also have the desire for premium vanilla ice cream. Costco has it. A half cup of it, I looked at it, it has 360 calories. It's really premium. Uh, so I want to be a bit more fit so I can wear that suit, but I also really want to enjoy my favorite foods. Um, and it's a really miserable experience because I can either have the experience of wearing that suit or being sad because life without ice cream is really not worth living. Uh, I got an amen for that this morning from the back of the church. <laughs> and it was the first amen I've ever gotten in a race. Which is either great or really sad. So, um, but 
it's a tension within me, and it is kind of miserable. Uh, no matter what set of priorities wins the day, you know, I'm feeling a little sad. And I bet all of us here, Christian or not, can sort of resonate with having that experience, and, and probably on much deeper, more profound levels than what I'm talking about. Uh, but if that's true, that we can all relate to that, what is, is there something different about the tension that's produced in us by the Holy Spirit when it comes into our lives? Uh, yes, there's actually something profoundly different. Uh, the Christian experience of tension, this tension between the flesh and the spirit, is, is much different, frighteningly different, actually. See, my ordinary competing desires are all still my desires, and I can kind of negotiate those to come to some sort of, uh, you know, happy equilibrium in time. Uh, I can change myself with a bit of reflection and awareness and long-term thinking. I can realize that it's totally worth it to eat the ice cream every night. Um, but the, the reality is I can gain victory over these things or come to resolution through my own willpower. One part of my sort of self-love can triumph over the other one. Um, but the Holy Spirit is different. The Holy Spirit is not me. The Holy Spirit is not a part of me that's warring against another part of me. Uh, he is actually alien to me. He's bringing the desires of a whole new person, a whole new vision for life, radically different into my life. And, and these are desires not rooted in my fallen self-love, but in the self-sacrificial love of God and love of and so in this way, the Holy Spirit isn't just a conflict within me. Uh, we're not talking about tapping into one part of you, your better part rather than your worst part. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in conflict with me, in a sense. And this is why Paul says in verse 24 that to be a Christian, to live in the Holy Spirit, is to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. It's to hear this death sentence on our fallen nature to realize that the power for real life comes to us as a gift. And I, I make this point because I think it's so easy, whether it's our culture or our human nature, to kind of think that the transformation we need in our lives is ultimately sort of going to be ha happening through willpower. And what Paul's talking about is actually much more radical than that. He's saying it's, it's a power from outside of you, and it means giving up on your own strength in some real and deep so to walk in the Spirit is to live from a power other than the self. It, it's, it's a death sentence on the natural self. It's accepting that uh, reality. I had a, a man come up to me, a kind of friendly skeptic, a seeker that was in church this morning, and, and after the sermon he said, you know, wanted to talk about this, and he said, you know, I've been tr wrestling with things and desires in my life for a long time. Like, does anyone actually really do this? Like, is this really possible? And, and I thought, oh, no sermon. And, uh, but then I thought, no, actually that's part of the point is, is Jesus is saying the life you need is not possible within your own strength. And that's a really radical thing that we, we kind of don't like to hear because it's the loss of power and control. And, but that is what Paul is actually saying. So that's the first thing. The second thing in this is that I want you to see is life in the spirit is life together. Life in the Spirit is true fellowship, creates true fellowship. Life in the Spirit is the basis of true community that we so desperately need. In verses 19 and 23, 19 to 23, Paul lays out two basic descriptions of life. Again, it's the way of the flesh and the way of the Spirit, the way of our 
natural abilities in the way of this new reality that Paul's talking about in the giving of the Holy Spirit. But they aren't just descriptions of individual life, which we often read them as if, if that's what's at, at issue here. They involve individuals, but they're descriptions of life together. Look at verses 19 through 21. Paul describes the life of the flesh, the life operated out of our own strength. And it's a description of a group of humans who live together at odds with one another. It's people who are all operating out of self-love, using one another for pleasure, always trying to get the better of each other. It's the natural human state. And you'll notice Paul's talking about the law here in connection with this. He's saying, you know, the people in the flesh need the law, and those who are in the spirit, there is no law against such things. They, they don't require the law. And the only way the chaos of our natural human state can be held in check is by the law, in the sense of externally imposed commandments that seek to contain the chaos of, of sort of self-centered human beings. Uh, but then look at, at verses 22 and 23. This is the life of the Spirit. It's the life operated out of this power of God that comes into our lives from beyond ourselves. And it's a description of a group of human beings whose lives together are marked by love. Not love for self, primarily, but love for God and one another in God. And it's a life that produces a society of joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And Paul says, against such things, there is no law. In other words, it's a community that doesn't require the externally imposed law. Why? Because the law doesn't matter? Because God's law doesn't matter? No, it's because the type of life that's aimed at by the law is being produced organically from within, like fruit from the Holy Spirit. When you read the, the uh, Old Testament in Ezekiel, where the promise of the Holy Spirit is talked about, uh, what is the promise that the Holy Spirit will do? It is that he will make a new covenant with us that is not one in which God's law is just external to us, but when the, that the Spirit would come and God would write the law on our hearts. When we pray these kind of things, write the law on our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And so what Paul's describing here is one way of, of life that's that of the old human society. And Paul says in verse 21, the, the way of the flesh, this is manifestly not the coming kingdom of God. It's just controlled chaos, sometimes more controlled than others. And the other way of life is the way of the future, the way of the coming kingdom of God. It will be fully realized there. And so what I'm saying here is this is the more positive side, is the Holy Spirit has come not merely to say there's no possibilities within our flesh, but to raise us up into new life that is life in true community, a, a community that's radically other-oriented, not competitive, but cooperative. Uh, and, and that is what uh, the church is meant to be. We are meant to be the community of life together in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've been uh, at a few churches in my life, and I've worked at three of them, kind of four. Uh, and in every place I've been, uh, people find the church really disappointing. Can any of you uh, resonate with that? Raise your hand. But every place I've been, people find the church to be really disappointing that it's like promising more than it, it delivers. And I resonate with that in a lot of ways. And I've been in great churches 
And so is Paul like some kind of utopian here? Is this a real possibility? Uh, is this really what's possible? Yes and no. Look at what frames the passage here. Verses 15, uh, Paul says, you know, so going a little before the section we read, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then at the end of the passage, or right after the section we read, verse 26, he tells the Galatians to be aware lest they become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. And the point I want to make is the church is beset by all the same dangers of normal human community because we bring with us the way of operating that we've learned, that we've inherited, that's part of our own operating out of our own strength into the church. And I actually think it's almost intensified in the church sometimes. Why? Because we are actually coming and living together in a way the world doesn't even try to do often. And so we should recognize what's going on here. Why, why is the church difficult? Well, we're all bringing the flesh, the ways of the flesh, into it. And we're all also, and so it's being intensified, we're all also coming here, though, where there are the resources of God's Word and His Holy Spirit to bring us to repentance over that fact. And to receive the grace, the grace that is the Holy Spirit, to uh, repent and to live in a new way, to begin approximating life together in community. We're supposed to come here and, and seek those resources from outside of ourselves. And the church is this kind of place of death to self, disappointment, uh, but also a place where we do discover these things. And I, I've also seen the most beautiful things I've ever seen in relationships with. And it's this ongoing process, and, and we're not going to be there until we get to the kingdom of God fully realized when Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God is all in all. But this is what's happening here. This is something beautiful breaking out. Painful, because it's death, the flesh, but life in the spirit. So life in the spirit is life together. It's the basis of community. Here's the last thing I want to say is life in the spirit is life by grace. God commands life in the Spirit. He says, walk in the Spirit. He tells you to do it. And that means there must be some way to do it. And it's by grace. So if you notice the passage that we read, the part we read is, is bookended by commandments, imperatives. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Tim, walk by the Spirit. Elise, keep in step with the Spirit. And yet, as I've said, one of the points, though, that Paul's making is that there's no possibility of this life in ourselves, in the flesh. So life in the Spirit is this radical critique of all of our possibilities, yet we're commanded to walk by the Spirit. We're commanded to continue to walk by the Spirit. There's this paradox here. Uh, the life you need is entirely outside of yourself, and yet it's something you're called to do. And if you take this as just a logical kind of proposition, it's impossibly contradictory. But the paradox here is not merely a logical proposition that we try to resolve. It's a, a tension that drives us to seek God's grace from outside of ourselves. It's a tension that drives us only to the posture of prayer. To earnestly seek the means, to earnestly seek God's grace in His Word, in the filling of the Holy Spirit, in the sacrament. It's this contradiction that causes us to pray with St. Augustine. Grant what you command and command what you desire. 
desire. Gus to recognize, and God commands these things, but God also must grant the ability to live in those realities. And the posture that we're called to, the posture of life in the Spirit, is one of prayer. It's what Eugene Peterson calls active passivity. It's what all the spiritual disciplines, again, are about, is what's the one thing you can do? It's to adopt a posture of waiting and emptiness and seeking to be filled and asking. That's why we can be commanded to be filled with the Spirit. What do we do to do that? We ask. And this is right, this state of prayerful dependence, of poverty of spirit, of, of just asking, and recognizing our own total incapability is right where God wants us as a church and as individuals. It's the state of existence where God meets us and empowers us. It's the state of life that consists in acknowledging our lack, asking God to fill us, and then saying thank you. It's really simple, actually. It's a state of life, a state of grace, and it naturally produces more and more kind of organically the fruit of love in our lives. We dwell in this state, it feels like things are happening in us that we don't deserve, that we're not producing, and we haven't, that's right. And so in some ways, it's the easiest thing in the world, and yet the hard, isn't it the hardest thing? Because it goes against everything that you have in your flesh, where it's, I will do this by my willpower. So life in the Spirit is life by grace. As, we, as I say these things, do you have a desire awakening in you to experience God? The Holy Spirit, do you have a fresh realization of your lack? Uh, positively, are you longing for love and joy and peace and all these things in relationship that you, you, you're kind of glimpsed, but you don't feel like they're, they're there? And you hear God say, saying to you, walk by the Spirit. Operate out of this, this alien power to yourself. Here's the thing, it's just closing, that if you're feeling that, that is already the work of the Holy Spirit. Putting you in that place of asking and receiving from Him. He's already drawing you in, in a fresh way to make Christ real to you. He's working in your life. And so, keep in step, stay in that place. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We stay in that place of our radical need and asking return to it again and again with repentance and faith and trust in God's promise. Father, we thank you for your word. It is more radical than we feel comfortable with sometimes in its statement of uh, our complete uh, impossibility of, of really being uh, not just relatively morally good people, people who love you and love our neighbors. The Lord, you command these things, and we ask them, grant what you command, command what you will. Teach us to dwell in 